You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 637, the chaos of the Brits Awards. 1974 is the best year for pop. Uh, no, it's the worst. Loathing and hatred with Monty Python and Orbital. And hooray for daytime gigs. That's all coming up after Alison Krauss and Baby Now That I've Found You. Such a beautiful voice. Um, touring with Robert Plant across America this summer. Mm. Uh, this was a single back in 1995, and she won a Grammy with it for Best Female Country Vocal Performance. Mm. Alison Krauss and Baby Now That I've Found You. I love Alison Krauss. Like a lot of people um, in England, I think, I first uh, got into her music because she was on the soundtrack of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and featured oh. prominently on that. And uh, as a result of which, I got into her, I got into Union Station, and then, of course, became a big fan of the of, of the music that she did with Robert Plant. I mm. love the fact we had that surprise follow-up album, Fairly uh, uh, yes. um which I don't think anyone was really expecting. But, um, yeah, I, I think she's fantastic. And what an inspiring what an unlikely but inspired pairing she and, and Robert Plant are. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, it, and it works so well. And as you say, hence, of course, you know, the, the follow-up, um, surprise follow-up album. Indeed. Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 637. 
I'm Terence Dackham, and I'm gonna, still without a role in daytime television after the appointment <laughs> of Cat Dealey and Ben Shepherd to ITVs this morning. It's Juliet Harris. I know. I can only Jesus. assume that Ryland didn't want it though. I mean, me and Ryland fronting that would we have been mega. Well but together, uh, yeah. we'd enjoyed that, wouldn't we? Anyway, never mind. Um, you know, to be honest, at least it means I don't have to leave my house because the thing, the good thing about watching this morning is that you don't have to leave the house mm. to do that. Whereas if you're on this morning one assumes that you do have to although i have i I managed to avoid visiting the set of this morning um when i was filming eggheads uh, um television center the former bbc television center now it's you know rented out to various people um we were told at the beginning where the toilets were and we were given very specific and clear instructions to turn through the right doors because and i quote otherwise you'll end up walking into the middle of the set of this morning that has happened before so uh, Anyway, I've never visited this morning, intentionally or otherwise, but uh, hello, everybody. I'm just trying to remember, because a lot of people, maybe newer listeners, won't know that you spent um, about six months working with Ryland on BBC Radio 2. What was that, about six, seven years ago now, I should think? Um, no, not as long as that. So not as long 20, as that. 2019. So it was summer of 2019. Five years ago. Um, right? and, uh, and I spent 10 weeks in a row um, with a couple of weeks when they were in Ibiza. So so about 12 weeks in total um, on a Radio 2 quiz, which I kept returning to. And then had a lovely time at Christmas when I was invited into Wogan House, which I believe they've just vacated. And, um, have, and yeah. yes, and um, and had a lovely time on the Christmas special. So, uh, so <laughs> yes, that was that was an enjoyable event but who knows what this year will bring i've got a surprise quick quiz for you and the listener well it will definitely it will definitely bring that won't it <laughs> let's let's go it's a quick quiz just to remind everybody it's spelled k-w-i-k k-w-i-z or z quick mm. quiz oh, right. and, okay. uh, i mean that slightly put me off but let's go anyway <laughs> <laughs> um You'll be aware, um, Julia, of the football team Tottenham Hotspur. It's a topical I'm, quiz. I'm aware of the work of Tottenham Hotspurs, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur, you're aware of them. And their prolific striker, Sun Hyung Min. Yeah. Uh, lately, he's been absent from the Premier League um, because he's, he's been um, due to South Korea's participation in the Asian Cup. Yes, I get confused with all the cups. Uh, the, yes, I didn't realise that was going on at the same time as AFCON, yes. But yes. Uh, anyway... So today's question is a topical one, and mm. it's um, what happened last week to Song Hyung Min on the evening before South Korea's semi-final defeat to Jordan. Oh, and okay. I've got four. Um, it's multiple choice. Four possible answers. One of them is definitely true. Did he run off with the vicar at, um, at a wedding? <laughs> as her last at the thirteen week, uh, Rottweilers. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> Possible answer number one. He broke his hand in a fist fight with teammates during a row over a table tennis game. Right. Option number two. He missed the team bus to go to training because he refused to miss the ending of the movie he was watching. The movie (laughs) was SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, I can understand that. It's a great film. But anyway, yes. Number three, he was arrested by police because he undertook a naked handstand on the balcony of his hotel. Goodness me. Number four, he got into an argument with a hotel maid who threw his belongings out of a window. Goodness me. Well, he clearly had a very exciting time, whatever it was. One of Um, those is true. I'm going to, at the danger of falling into lazy stereotypes uh, bordering on xenophobia, and I apologise if so, I'm going to go with the table tennis one because I think they take that very seriously out there. So let's go for the first option. Sun Hyung Min injured his hand in a row over table uh, tennis. Ah, I see. I, I, clearly I wasn't Dislocated. being lazy after all. You did very well. Dislocate the middle finger on his right hand during an altercation with younger players. Uh, he wore yeah. a bandage around his hand during South Korea's 2 0 defeat at Jordan and Tottenham's recent 2 1 league win over Brighton and Hove Albion. Well done, you. Well, thank you. Also, just goes to show I'm not terribly surprised that the team lost to Jordan after that. Clearly, there wasn't <laughs> no. much in the way of togetherness. No, not much camaraderie. Team, no, yes. or, you know, perhaps, perhaps if they could have used their competitive spirit on their opponents rather than each other. I, one would have felt they might have done better, but anyway. 
And as um, as it, Richard Osman says, very well done if you got that at home. Very well at home, indeed, mm-hmm. yes. And, uh, and Richard Osman, by the way, would have enjoyed that. I've been listening to, I think I've mentioned in, pre- in recent weeks that I've been listening to the rest of the entertainment with him. Oh, yes. Excellent podcast. And there's a, an increasingly long-running joke about the fact that Richard Osman believes that anything can be made into sport, pretty much. He's so <laughs> obsessed with sport that he thinks that anything can be like some sort of sport, really. Marina Hyde is very long time in her kind of putting up with this so he would be delighted that um that mm. they made they managed to make a sport out of their spare time from sport i think he would have enjoyed that the brit awards it's an annual hullabaloo uh, a generally awkward award ceremony running since <laughs> 1977 and hosted by a range of unsuitable people starting with uh, in the first year 1977 michael aspel and there's been <laughs> And there's been Noel Edmonds, Jonathan King, and Mm. memorably, of course, Samantha Fox and Fleetwood. I knew you were going to say that. That, To be fair, I I feel, I might have said this before, but I feel they were slightly unfairly maligned in that, yes, they were very mismatched, but also there'd clearly been some breakdown of communication between the autocue and backstage because it really wasn't their fault that that they would read off the autocue, ladies and gentlemen, please please welcome the four tops and then boy George would walk out. That really wasn't a them issue, was it? That was another issue. So yes, whilst they were perhaps a bit stilted and perhaps a bit mismatched, I do feel that some aspects of the production were against them. And I think they've been unfairly blamed for all of that. Yeah, I rather agree. Well, a new team for 2024 has been announced. Almost inevitably, it's Roman Kemp, Maya Jama and Clara Ampho. But two people I've never heard of have been announced this week as hosts of the Red Carpet. Mm. The wonderfully named Yinka Bikini. Yes, a new and, name on me as well, I must yes, say. And Jack Saunders, who says he is going to bring fun and chaos to the event. <laughs> um, Jules, the very last thing the Brit Awards needs is more chaos. Well, I mean, as, as we've just remarked, not all ca- some chaos is fun. Uh, sometimes the two are mutually exclusive, as indeed anybody. <laughs> they had to sit through uh, that Sam Fox and Mick Fleetwood debacle with a, what was, I suspect, a cold dinner at the Brit Awards um, would, would, would testify to. I had heard of Jack Saunders, actually. I knew that he was the host of The Rock Show on Radio 1. Oh, if you have okay. the kind of life which means that you have to do shopping or errands in the evening after dark because you were working during the day, you might might hear him on Radio 1 if you're flicking through your car radio channels, mm. which is how I'm familiar with it, with Jack Saunders. Um, but, I mean, for all that, you know, as you say, the inevitability of certain presenters gets very irritating. Having said that, some of them are ubiquitous because they are good at what they do. I rate Maya Jama. I, I rate Clara Rampo highly. I think she's excellent. And also, I do have some time for Roman Kemp as well. I, I'm also always a little bit eye-rolly about anybody that has what we call um, a, a, a parent that is unlined, underlined in blue on Wikipedia. I'm always slightly nervous of those yes, people. Yes, two of them. Indeed, yes. But um, we won't... We won't criticise that too much. Um, yes, n- not sure who Yinka is, but um, I wish them well. She says it's an honour and a dream to be recorded, reporting from the red carpet. It's quite interesting that the red carpet's as big a do now as the oh, actual quite. ceremony, isn't it? Yeah. And they have various... I think the problem is they've been trying to keep it relevant, haven't they? They've been trying to... And so it seems to be that they're trying to make it a bigger and bigger do for what one fears are, are ever-diminishing returns. But... Um, um, you know, I, 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 I will probably collide with the Brit Awards at some point, I suspect, as well as having the red carpet. There's also, you'll be excited to know you can watch the after show on ITVX oh with backstage interviews with award winners. Um, so so you, there is going to be all sorts of coverage. Um, I don't know... I don't know if they broadcast it live or not anymore. I couldn't quite tell from this, this article on the BBC. Um now, it's been broadcast from London's O2 Arena, uh, performances by Flavour of the Month, Ray, Dua Lipa, um, and, of course, dear old Kylie Minogue, who, as I think we've said previously, delighted by her success mm. for Dan Batam and that she is still relevant. Um, and she's receiving the Brit's Global Icon Award, which to me seems like, mm, should have nominated Kylie for award. Looks like we didn't. We ought to get her along anyway, really. Oh, look, here's an award. So um, this is this has got shades of the Montgomery Burns annual award for the <laughs> achievement of X 
accidents or whatever it was, whatever it was, what she had to make up to give to Homer so that he didn't sue them or something, <laughs> if I remember correctly. But anyway, not that I'm casting aspersions on Kylie Minogue. Yes, I, I'm not entirely convinced that the Brit Awards leave chaos. If anything, I think it needs to run fairly smoothly. Um, the BAFTAs was very well received at the weekend. That seemed to be a quite slickly done affair and was quite good as a result because, you know, you've got a pro in David Tennant hosting and, you know, the the big issue with with um, you know these kind of award shows is that they go on for too long particularly the grammys where they have about 80 million categories and you know they always give out the technical awards and like and they say it's a three-way tie and like 75 percent of the arena gets up to go and get their awards so um so so you know a part of me thinks as awards ceremonies are better when when you know you get on you get off um, people should be following the example of our late HMTQ when she gave an opening speech at the Olympics awards and um, sorry the Olympics opening ceremony um, in 2012 in London and I think her opening I think her her welcome was 18 words long I think we can do it and then it stopped exactly say say hello to everybody say who's won the award someone gets up they thank their 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 backing band their manager their parents god if they really must and then they and then they get off so so my view is like you i don't think the brit awards need chaos i don't actually think it's very appealing in the end i think it's just tedious i think probably what the brit awards need is people that can be funny in a very efficient and directed way I've been to the Brits um, Awards twice. I was going to ask if you've been actually. In, been twice okay. when I was a much younger boy than I am mm, now. Indeed. In in nineteen ninety eight, when that Egypt from Chumbawamba emptied oh, a bucket yes. of ice water over John Prescott Goodness and his wife. Me, yes. I was only about two tables away from that. Wow. And um, the year before, now wait till I tell you in nineteen ninety seven. Who mm. who performed? Because was when that, Mark Mor- that, was, when, was, when Mark that, Morrison performed, and that's uh, why I was. Was, was that the, was that the Spice Girls? Um, did they perform? Was that the Brit Awards dress year? It was not, the, it, but it was a great evening. This is what this is the this is the lineup. I had I had a look at my program. Oh, shut up. Go on. No, no, the Bee Gees mm. opened the show. Oh yes, then, with their with their comeback album. That was the big yeah. comeback, wasn't it? Diana Ross and Jamiroquai doing a duet. Oh, that was great! They did um, they did upside down, upside didn't they? Down. It was really they did. good. And I really enjoyed brilliant. that. Yeah. yeah. Manic Street Preachers. Very Prince. Good. Wow. The Fugees. Very good. Cheryl Crow. Oh, and gosh. Skunk and Nancy singing "Teenage Kicks" by the Undertones. Gosh, that's quite that's quite a lineup, isn't it? I doubt Chaos Boy will match that. No, it seems unlikely, doesn't it? Really, who knows? I still have my Brit Awards. They used to do compilations a bit like now of the Brit Awards nominees. Brit Awards 98, I think I've got on double tape. I will try and dig it out because it's really, really good. And again, similar artists to people you've just described. And um, yes, one does wonder if that will match that heyday. But maybe it's moved on without us for Terence. Maybe we'll be surprised. The year uh, 19... 74 has been the subject of debate in the Daily Telegraph in it recent has. weeks. It, it all started with a review of a book by Nick Renison called 1974 Scenes hmm. from a Year in Crisis. And the crisis seems to refer to a number of people and incidents displaying mental in- instability, as the Telegraph describes it. Hmm. Um, Patty Hearst, John Stonehouse staging his disappearance, Lord Lucan, and a bloke called Ian Ball tried to kidnap Princess Anne in the mall yes, in London. I'd forgotten and, about that. Yeah, there was a lot going on. But mainly, the argument seems to be that 1974 was a great year for music with ABBA, Slade, Joni, Steely hmm. Dan, Roxy Music cited. Hmm. But then... Look out, everybody. Here comes Telegraph music critic Neil McCormick to tell us that 1974 was the worst year in pop. And he reminds us that we had Mud, the Wombles, Peters and Lee and Kung Fu fighting. Help us out here, Jules. 1974, triumph or disaster? Well, maybe we should treat those two imposters just <laughs> the same thirty as old Rudyard would have put it. It's interesting, as always with Beaters One Thirty, that you picked this book because I bought this book in the bookshop of the National Theatre in oh, um, I want to say November last oh. year. It was certainly in the autumn time last year. I was with my other half, and we were going to the House of Bernardo Albert with uh, Harriet Walterham, which was excellent. And yeah. um, just to, just to reassure people who heard my tales from another theatre 
the other week. Nobody was taken ill during this performance. <laughs> Everybody was fine. Everything went fine. And um, and we both bought a book in the National Theatre Bookshop and we decided at the interval that we really did not want to go and fight for ice cream or drink or whatever it is one does with the uh, admittedly rather urbane people at the National Theatre on a Saturday matinee near, near enough to Christmas. So I bought a book that I thought looked really interesting in the bookshop and read some of it. And it was 1974, just everything seems to happen in and it, it's a real I, I think I'm on May so far because it's in it's in I've just got over the shock of Manchester United being relegated and yes. uh, and we're in May um Self, Sir Ralph Ramsey's just been sacked and David Bowie has released his Diamond Dogs album I mean there is just so much happening constantly it's just I thought we were living in fast times now but actually it just goes to show how much is happening at once and actually I think probably both can be true because partly it depends what one's taste is and I think it just goes to show and I think that the 90s were possibly the last great age in music to match the 60s and 70s and the 80s and that there was so much variety that was in the mainstream if you see what I mean so there were lots of different genres of music that all seemed to be quite popular if you see what I mean and and lots of sort of change that sort of change from year to year um I um I I thought it was very interesting that you know it, pop happened pop was pop was still happening I, I I just I I think there are arguments of both and actually yeah there was an awful lot of amazing stuff from the 60s that's rightly stood the test of time like the Beatles the Stones all that kind of stuff there was also an awful lot of novelty style rubbish that was that had been forgotten I have to say for a good reason and pick of the pop sometimes demonstrates that as well Graham Norton when he was on Radio 2 used to have a really good little thing called I Can't Believe It's Not Better which was usually a record which you felt should somehow have been good yet somehow wasn't usually it was high energy disco but um, and I think that you could make a similar argument for 1974 and actually sometimes you need the rubbish to make the good stuff look good if you see what I mean mm. so so I you know yes there was an awful lot of toot about because there <laughs> always is as Neil McCormick puts it from rock ditty tiger feet to the wombles gaudy cheer via maudlin weepies and novelty hits I mean anybody that does not like the wombles in my view should not be chief rock critic of the telegraph but anyway that is just that is just my personal view um but you know a lot of that stuff a lot of the you know the the slade tartan and all that kind of stuff it's, it's still in deers with people i was at a music quiz on friday evening and we were we had a, a lyric line written read out to us and i was really struggling to place it and the woman next to me recited the rest of that verse and then hit the chorus of what turned out to be ballroom blitz by the streets <laughs> and she said i love that it was great and this would have been as we worked out shockingly 50 years previously and this woman had it off like 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 that had it down pat i mean you know there were some terrible things it is difficult it's difficult to be truly fully throated in your defence of a year where Seasons in the Sun is the, is the second biggest selling single. Um, we also had, like you say, Kung Fu Fighting, which I think is a good song, actually. And Carl Douglas is still living off it, so you, you can't knock that. The Street by Ray Stevens, Eviva Espana oh. by Sylvia, and Billy Don't Be a Hero by Paper Lace. That first oh, that's started. That's depressing. Yeah. I know. You've also got stuff like, the you know, that's just Shawaddy Waddy. The Rubettes, but then I think Sugar Baby well, Love by the Rubettes yeah, is a great. great record. And, yeah. you know, and actually, do you know what? I, I speak of someone that hates ballads who, whilst I have mourned the passing of Steve Wright, Sunday morning love songs really is my idea of musical hell in every <laughs> single way. Having said that, some of these weepers um, are fantastic. The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand, that's mm. very good. Um, you also had, you know, this is the year that brought us um, you know, albums that were released in 1974, uh, Band on the Run that we spoke about the other week, Dark Side of the Moon, Chibula Bells, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Rose, until, of course, 
one realizes that they were in fact released the year before they were just selling so much because there were very few other good albums that they just kept selling the best selling album of 1974 city in britain was abba carpenter's greatest hits Uh, (laughs) that was the biggest selling album so you could and then and diamond diamond dogs was perhaps the biggest selling sort of critical darling having said that though there were you know i i i still think there was a lot to enjoy in 1974 um this book is worth is worth a read this book by by um by by neil and by sorry by rick nick renison it's excellent it's an enjoyable ramble down the down sort of memory lane it just makes you realize how history is always happening and actually you know for some people the throwaway music of the suite i sat next to a woman that remembered it 50 years on for so, so for some people that is history and of course these people arguing their case one way or the other they maybe don't realize that every year is the best and worst yes. in pop history it all depends on what you individually like and well, what quite. you don't so, and also i think david hepworth says before that everybody thinks that the best music that was ever produced was produced in the period when they personally were aged between 17 and 22 and i think that's so probably right isn't it i think that is so true i mean some people will see uh, mud's tiger feet like neil mccormack i saw he wrote there was a trite faux rock and roll ditty by a bunch of cockney wide boys but other people will <laughs> that's the best music ever though that's that's the best music that's ever made well you know you mentioned it so others will celebrate it as like a harmless slice of sunshine pop but for, for me the nadir of 1974 i'm just i'll never forget this evening it was mm, one of the worst on. evenings of my life was oh, spending gosh. what felt like 10 years of my teenage life enduring the lamb lies down on broadway oh, at least it Genesis. wasn't the brit awards i suppose it could no, have been worse but still live at wembley arena the lamb Oh, down man. and then spending another two hours trying to get out of Wembley car park but stuck in the being stuck in the car was mildly less tedious uh, to be <laughs> I was going to say but, that almost makes you pray to get stuck but you in know, traffic 1974 you mentioned some of the others I mean we also had 1974 Court and Spark Pretzel yes. Logic Late for the Sky Fulfilling this first finale um, and yeah, great albums uh, that year from the Eagles Aretha Todd yes. Chaka Khan so overall 1974 big winner for me Jules well say so and also actually interestingly those albums you've just rattled off um and i think this 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 shows the flaw in the in the 1974 sort of anti-argument by 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 al pal neil here all of those artists that you just named were american so maybe Mm. one needed to 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 set one's sights a little further than the shores of britain very much so coming next why can't everybody just get along featuring (laughs) amongst others monty python and orbital and that's after a little samba from ugly duckling two three this is just a little samba I'm living grandiose, pumping on an ambassador, paid in full, kill the bull like a matador, flash the cat, make my album cover shinier, oh, my head spinning like a discus, and if this is just a little samba, then I'm straight, with a seven course meal on my plate, I put my leftovers in the doggy bag, I got moves like Mr. Miyagi had, with the wax off, wax on, I play you like Zach song, girls love my song, sunbathing on the back lawn, you rock marvelous, come on young lady, get in the car with us, superstar deluxe, hey. I'm always Animated cause my game's so tight that I keep it laminated. Well, if that's true, why you living with your mama? Shh, it's just a little samba. This is just a little samba. Come hotter than Arizona rooftops. I got this one, she's a playmate. When I met her, she was looking at my gold dizzy nameplate. But I had to vacate. I 
said I'm gonna miss our date cause my plane's late. Plane? Yeah, I own a plane and I also buy a yacht. So I scuba in Bermuda when the weather gets hot and I travel a lot. Then why you living with your mama? Man, it's just a little samba. This is just a little samba. repeatedly chanting no you don't no you don't is is it should have got more love than it did i think there remains something of a cult concern um they're one of these bands that i think they got that got used so i think we've talked about this previously that quite often advertising and spotify and and sort of the accessibility of music from the past means that music often has second lives um so so that song got used in an advert in 2014 um, by um, in several European countries by Visa during the World Cup in 2014. Uh-huh. But um, that song was actually released on their album in 2001, um, which well, it was a single, and I think Steve Lamack played it on the, the evening session. I got very much into it at the time. And I heard it the other day on a hip-hop kind of, on a Spotify's algorithms that went, oh, you've been listening to this, perhaps you'd like this. And I literally hadn't heard it in years, and it was lovely to hear it again. This is in the album Journey to Anywhere, and this band, Ugly Duckling, sort of a, a hip hop, uh, hip hop combo, rather than a popular beat combo, perhaps a popular big beat combo, one might call it. But uh, um, they've got a, one of their members. I can't decide. You can help me with this, Ati. Whether or not his pseudonym or his actual name is better, because they're both fantastic. <laughs> so, so two of the members is Andy Cooper, who didn't seem to have a suit. Dizzy Dustin, who was Dustin <laughs> McFarland, and then we've got a man who's. Pseudonym was Young Einstein, which I very much <laughs> like. Real name, Rodney Pleasant Jr., which I also think is great. They have great names in America, don't they? Don't they? Don't they? Yeah. But yes, uh, so this, that was Ugly, du- Ugly Duckling and A Little Samba. How have I not come across your Ugly Duckling boys They're before? They're good, I know. They're good. This is, the, this is the best lyrics of any hip hop record <laughs> I've ever heard. I love them, and I've only heard this one track. I'm going to have to explore more. Well, I'm delighted. And the thing I like about it, and I'm glad you like the lyrics of T, is that it's quite fun, and it's not it's not one of those diss tracks you get in hip hop that's really pl- unpleasant. Or, you know, if you're called Rodney Pleasant Jr., how could you be anything but? But, um, but yeah, it's not one of those sort of unpleasant misogynistic sweary hip-hop it's quite clever and it's quite fun and it's a bit silly and that's the kind of hip-hop i like yeah that's what appealed to me very much because like you i don't like it when it's all people sort of uh, i don't want um, i don't want popped in popped in anyone's ass thank you very much quite so you might think that after 55 years of working together, the Monty Python people might just settle into their later years and oh, just you'd enjoy think, life. You? But no, at uh, 80 years of age, Eric Idle has been on social media railing against his <laughs> colleagues. I mean, Eric Idle has been on social media. I wish that sentence would have just stopped, frankly. No, anyway, quite so, yeah. He's uh, implying that he has to continue working due to Terry Gilliam's children running the company for Monty Python, and oh, not very gosh. successfully, he says. He also accuses John Cleese of being a bully. He says of the team, we are colleagues, not brothers. Even though two of them are dead, this um, antipathy seems to pop up every couple of years, mm. especially when any of them have, um, when any of them undertakes a solo project. It's rather sad, Jules. Yes. That men in their their 80s are still quarrelling over a few television shows and movies they made together over 50 years ago. Yes, 
very true. Although I do, I I think that it, it's a, it's a disease that afflicts some of them more than others. I do remember um, uh, Terry Jones is the one that is is he still alive? He was very no, poorly died, for a while. He, wasn't he had he? dementia. Yeah. Yes, he's dead. Well, now. I remember there being foot, uh, sort of a photo shared of of Michael Palin going to visit him, and I've always Michael Palin's always been my favourite because I've always thought he was a decent chap. Mm. So maybe they weren't all bad. Um, yes, this was somewhat. Um, he's very frank on Twitter, isn't he? Or X, as I suppose we now have to call it, even though I don't really want to. Yeah. But um, but yes, it's the fact that he kind of he often says this. He doesn't make this as kind of you know actual sort of tweets and sort of big statements. But he's incredibly frank when chatting with people on Twitter, isn't he? Yes. Really. Yes. Um, I um, I wonder if he uh, realizes that everybody else can see it as well. I can't imagine he doesn't, to tea, if I <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, um, I very much enjoyed this exchange, by the way, with sort of Marx Brothers. He then revealed that he hadn't seen John Cleese in seven years, and when another fan said that makes me sad, replied, "Why? It makes me happy." That is right up there with uh, Groucho Marx. I remember reading this report of a conversation in the London Review of Books once where he had lunch with a friend slash acquaintance of whom he'd fallen out some years ago, but for some reason they decided to have lunch together. And um, they were sat in a restaurant and one of them got a pack of cigarettes out and said, do you mind if I smoke? To which Groucho Marx replied, I don't care if you burn. So I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure if the, if the lunch had the reconciliatory effect uh... that it was designed to have. But um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's one of those things i suppose really that it's uh, it's interesting that that and i think we talked about this with bands as well previously that people think oh you know it's a group of friends doing something they all love together ultimately it becomes a business doesn't it ultimately you know when you're performing at a high level and you know and you end up anything that you have to set up a company for turns into a business one way or another anything that you have to protect your tax position with becomes a business one way or another um it's um but um i i, I thought this was better put by eric idle actually he said um he, he talked about the mixed readings saying I love and I still love them and proud of what we did as Python. It was a very unique group. I think of us as an ex-Liverpool team. We played together well. And I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. Sometimes people work together and they do brilliant things and they produce brilliant things. And, you know, I've worked on teams and this is where sort of business and companies are different. I've worked on, you know, on business, you know, in business, in private business, in teams before. And, you know, we've worked, I've sat in groups of four in open plan and we've worked together really well as a team and and you know but we you know some of them we you know we kept in touch but i didn't need to go to the pub with them every week i didn't need to see them all the time we had a great time working together in the office and you know and and i didn't need to spend my whole life with them and sometimes one wonders if you know, people go, well, isn't it terrible when people have to travel on separate tour parties? No, I don't think it is. Just because you play in a band or you're in a, a comedy group with someone and you can perform very well professionally doesn't necessarily mean you have that personal chemistry. Well, this is all very, very true. Um, in the broader sense of uh, Monty Python, one of the less remembered um, aspects of uh, their show, and I say this as someone who, as a young teenager, watched every show on the on of Monty Python on the television, all the movies as when they were released. For every one minute sketch that hit the point, there was twenty minutes of less than funny sort of filler, repetition, mm. and um, Gilliam's awful cartoon inserts. That at the time we honestly, we all everybody, every youngster that I knew, everyone my contemporaries, always just sort of, as soon as they mm. came on, everyone would sort of groan and 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 you know sort of look away. And for every dead parrot and lumberjack song, there mm. would be some sort of childish sketch enacted yes. on a playing field in Acton that gave the impression that you know at most five seconds thought and effort had gone into it. So I really can't see that they can wrench any more income or even goodwill from their en- endeavours. I mean, they must have no appeal whatsoever to young people today. So their audience must all be people of my age and older. Well, I mean, yeah, able- same, actually. The only people, I mean, I know people that really like them, but... Mm. In terms of younger people, no. not many people of my age, some people that perhaps are are sort of 
five or ten years older than me my friends i know are like them are probably the youngest people that are interested in them really mm. and you, mean, you talk about um, there about you know people in bands going in in separate uh, vans or yeah. movies, whatever i mean we, we've had a hearty look at siblings in bands yes we have this topic before and i was intrigued this week to read interviews with um orbital ahead of yes. their upcoming tour kicks off in april two brothers of course phil and mm. paul hartnell and reading between the lines of this interview in The Guardian this week, they seem to merely tolerate each other, which seems a strange basis upon which to run a musical relationship. Phil says, and I quote, Paul has split up the band about four or five times. We didn't speak to each other in between breaks. So they kind of make the Gallagher brothers sound like, um, well, like the Teletubbies, uh, Jules. Actually, I found this a very interesting piece, and Harriet Gibson uh, wrote this as, as part of their flashback. And what I particularly like about this is that they they do a photograph which they repose years oh, on. Yes, that was very and so there was a lovely photo of the Hartnell brothers um, in you know uh, uh, originally you know the, the the photo in 1990 and then in 2023. And what's so lovely about it is that. Um, in the uh, Paul lost the jumper that he wore in the original one and it, it lost it on a train um, and they never uh, checked lost property but it was never found I cried yes I've also lost clothing I left a lovely jacket in a dry cleaners in Tunbridge Wells years ago but having left the town because of a job I hated I never felt I was able to go back and I thought oh, about that jacket the other day. It's long gone now. It would have been there 13 years and the chances of it still fitting me are... are would it be I great mean, fun to go in there with the tickets? Well, it would. Um, I'm not even sure this. I've got the tickets, Eddie. But yes, I was going to say the chances of the jacket fitting me are slim. That's rather an inappropriate word to use given yeah. why it won't fit me anymore. But anyway, I thought this was a really interesting article because what I found so nice about it and so interesting was they were incredibly honest, both of them, I thought. But actually... What's so interesting is that towards the end of the article, I mean, the fact they were brothers made it more um, more sort of, you know, more tricky. But what I quite like about it is that um, is that um, that they seem to have actually patched things up. And I love the fact that he says, I've now done 10 years of therapy and our relationship is much better. And um, and he said, uh, as a result, I feel like Phil is calmer too. I used to wake up in the night arguing with him in my head. Now I just wake up, go to the loo and get back into bed. We're in a better place than we've ever been. And they are sort of Phil from here. I love the fact they're called Paul and Phil as well. They really are sort of brothers, aren't they? Um, the other one Phil had, and I think it's worth reading this in full because it's probably the most alarming story I've heard in some time. I read this out to my other half and nearly dropped the cup of tea she was drinking because it was so strange. <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, so when you think about what they're like as sort of um, a, a, why, why they are like they are, um, so their mother appeared to have a quite a, a sort of troubled existence. He said, my mum had lots of problems with her menstrual strike and was on this housewife drug called Halcyon, which explained to me why they did a song called Halcyon and on and on. I assume that is a reference to that. And uh, as a result of which that she um, she was she lived quite a strange life as a result of which so did they. He says, I've got this huge dent in my arm, a big stuck scar. I did some homemade tattoos when I was 14, including an anti-Nazi league one. One day, mum took me to the local GP and gave him permission to practice tattoo removal on my arm, which involved slicing it off and using a cauterizing iron. Oh. Then mum, feeling bad about what she'd done, suggested I get a tattoo to cover up the, star, the scar, which I did. Um, I mean, if you come from that kind of planet, I yes. can see why your life might be a slightly chaotic one. And he said, this is the period of time where that Paul thinks we weren't as close. But actually, I was dealing with quite a lot of crazy things at home, trying to find keep things calm while also finding school hard. And actually, I thought it was an interesting insight. And I hope that they both read the other's contribution as to sort of where they were. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's talked about... Um, um, he's uh, the other one says we didn't speak to each other in in between breaks. It's tough, but I as I wasn't just losing my band, but my brother too. Thankfully, our relationship is really good since he's been to therapy. I used to worry because it was like he never seemed to enjoy being in orbital. He was always asking what's next. Now he's less stressed, and there's a lot more peace between us. I found this quite heartening, said he actually, and mm. that they've had huge issues with each other in the past, and yet. 
like grown-ups, they seem to have gone to therapy and kind of thought about thought about their issues. They've made some fantastic music. I've really got into Orbital in the last few years. I find them very good for... I find a lot of electronic dance music that's quite repetitive, very good for drafting leases at work. So actually, Orbital have become quite a key kind of part of my, my Spotify listening. Um, I was quite encouraged by the fact that, that I, I admired their openness and their honesty. The fact they could be articulate about it rather than, I don't know, the Gallagher brothers about it... And and I, I thought it was quite an interesting piece. Well, you see, I don't know an awful lot about them and didn't before this interview, but I, I thought, I don't know, maybe you, you know what each of them is, because I think a lot of the orbital tension comes from Phil being mm. a, bit, a bit of a bez, because yes. Paul says he does all of the work and thinks, and I'm going to quote from this piece, why am I doing this and giving you half the money? <laughs> I mean, so, fair. I get the feeling he rather wishes he had just done this on his own. In fact, this is the bit I don't get. I'm not really clear what Phil Hartnell contributes. I mean, vibes. Vibes seem to be a thing nowadays. And, and, you know, they need two of them to press the buttons on stage as well, (laughs) I think. And and actually, I I, I would recommend, um, I don't think we've put, we'll play out with one of the numbers. I don't think I've picked one from that album, but there was a compilation that was released some time ago of all of their Glastonbury appearances. Um, live appearances and there's some fantastic stuff on that so so I think there does need to be two of them really fair enough well there's more to come um, yeah. let's let's say hooray for daytime gigs and clubs yeah and um, that's next after Madonna mm. I don't expect my love affairs to last for long never fool myself that my dreams will come true Being used to trouble I anticipate it But all the same I hate it Wouldn't you? So what happens now? So what happens now? Where am I going to? Where am I going to? Time and time again I've said that I don't care That I'm immune to gloom that I'm hard through and through But every time it matters All my words desert me So anyone can hurt me And they do So what happens now? Where am I going to? Where am I? 
I believe recording the Evita soundtrack was the peak of Madonna's yes. career. For once, of course, she didn't have, uh, well, she didn't choose the producer and she didn't have as much control as mm. she would normally expect. And so they, they coaxed beautiful performances yeah. out of her. Um, the album was number two on Billboard, number one in the UK from 1996, Madonna and Another Suitcase in Another Hall. I couldn't agree more, frankly. And very interesting that, that for me, that, that preceded for me her best album to date, which is Ray of Light. Yeah. And the singing on that is fantastic as well. And like, I think that's a very well-made point that, that it really, they really did open her voice up and to sort of new, and her performance up to new possibilities. I think that her singing on that soundtrack and her performance in the film are very underrated and undersung, actually, by and large. Very good singing by her on that. Better and different and more detailed singing than she'd ever done before and excellent as a result. Yeah, sort of fragile and understated. Yeah, uh, very good. Very Which good. is not a word that one would have rushed to associate well, with well, Madonna well, previously. Quite, but... quite. I'm going to give you a couple of um, bits of uh, factual mm. info about Madonna factoids. now. Factoids! In, in, in memory in, of the in, late Steve Wright. Steve Wright. Us, yeah. And uh, you're going to go, ooh, because... Sure I will. <laughs> After a 10-year gap, Madonna's back in the singles chart again in the, in the UK with Popular, a yeah. collaboration with The Weeknd and Playboy Carty. She, she's uh, always been quite good at knowing at knowing yes, to sort of keep herself yeah, relevant, yeah. I think. It made the top 10 in the UK. Um, meaning, Jules, that in her career, Madonna has how many top 10 singles in the UK? Oh, uh, I can tell I'm, you. Well, can I, I'll guess at 65. Wow, sixty-four! Oh, that is extraordinary. Well one, done, you. One, That's one why you're the quiz queen. Out, they say. Yeah, I, 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 queen. I knew it was somewhere in the sixties. I wasn't no quite other sure female which. artist has more. And it's only, not a record, it, though. Incredible. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, the, the, there's only two artists, males, that have had more than uh, her sixty-four. One of them is Sir, one of them is Sir Cliff. Sir Cliff is one, and an American um, singer, Michael Jackson. Elvis. Ah, yes, that makes more sense. Elvis, 76. Cliff Richard, 68. And me. On top of that, just one more um, little fact to come. On top of that, Madonna has had 12 UK number one albums, yeah. which is also a record for a woman's Marvelous. solo artist. Um, Taylor Swift is catching up. She has 10. But, I suspect uh, that Taylor Swift will overtake her. Yeah. But, um, but, but, you know, again. All hail quite- Madonna. Indeed, and a lot of her albums, I I do still listen to. I must say, I know that I I particularly love Ray of Light, and that Ray will Ray that Ray will Ray always Ray. be my favourite. Also, lots of love for uh, Confessions on a Dance Floor from two thousand and six. Particularly if you can get hold of the version on the CD where all the songs are mixed into one continuous track, that mm. is really worth listening to. If you can pick that out, or pick that up from anywhere. Um, because I remember being very disappointed because I had the CD and listened to it. And then, of course, when you put it onto a computer to put onto an iPod, which I very much had at the time, yeah. it gets split up and, and it works so well. It's Again, your man Stuart Price, I think, did some producing on that, who used to be in an excellent, again, a, 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 like Ugly Duckling. I was listening to the Rhythm Digital at the same time as Ugly Duckling. Um, Stuart Price, I'm glad he was using his, his real name at that point because he was previously going by the name Jacques. Lucant in the Rhythm Digital. Um, he was, of course, from that famous province of France, Reading. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, so so she's always very good at picking mm. out dance producers. There were some misfires. Um, we've already talked about the unfortunate American life and when she was in her Mini Cooper and feeling super duper. That was that was not ideal that moment in time. However, she's produced some really great albums and. Um, yeah, like you say, all hail Madonna. And and how interesting that, like Kylie, they they are the great survivors of pop, I think, because they managed to work out how to stay relevant. The album I play most of Madonna, it, it, it may yeah. be a bootleg, I think it is a bootleg, is um, an album of uh, demo versions of all oh. of her most well-known songs, all of her hits. Oh, wow. And it, it's quite fascinating because, mm. you know, the one thing that Madonna's songs, uh, that are, when when they are released, is that they're never underproduced, are they? No, never. Um, you know, there's always a, a kitchen sink going on. And so to hear them with, with her just almost like practising and with an acoustic guitar or piano, it's, 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 I, I found it absolutely fascinating. And then you can sort of picture how it was built from, from there. But that uh, is, And also her songs are always melodically very very strong the hits so so i guess you can probably trace the line can't you yeah. 
when I was 20 and attending just about any and every punk gig mm. I could in London, there was something thrilling, almost anarchic about being in London around midnight at, the, at those times in the, in the mid 70s. Almost nowhere was open mm. in the late 70s. And I seem to remember there was one wimpy bar that stayed open late in Soho. And there was a stall for taxi drivers that did hot dogs by one of the bridges along the embankment. Oh, wow. This sounds lovely. I would go and- there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going there now, actually. I'm on it. <laughs> well, we would we would roll home at two a.m. and be up and about the next day without a care in the world. But now, many many years later, many years later, and the thought of such a lifestyle, it, it well, it, it, yeah, it fills me with dread. Really, I mean, I prefer to watch uh, Love It or List It and then fall asleep during the ten o'clock news. <laughs> I mean, you're so, at a different phase of your life now, uh, Sophie. I must right. say, I'm sorry yes. to point this out. So I'm very heartened by the success of these new concepts of daytime clubbing, one of which Day Fever runs in London. It starts at 3 p.m., Jules. Everyone goes home at 8 p.m. Very civilised. This sounds absolutely terrific. Shout out to Vicky McClure, who's one of the, the brains behind this. I, I mean, I think they were they were really surprised. We mentioned this in Dispatches the other week. They started off with one venue. They've now ended up on about six or seven cities. And these sell out, like, almost instantly or within a day, certainly. And I'm, I'm delighted by it because, like you, I'm at the point where, you know, I mostly eat, if we eat out, it's mostly in garden centres nowadays. And, and you know, sometimes we go to things. We did go to a, a late-night music gig in November to see Stereolab, which I just became furious at people talking around me. And also, we both had heavy colds. And I remember us saying, if this was anybody other than Stereolab, we would not be going to watch a band play late at night on a school night in a completely painted black box in a venue that was called Black Box because of that. Um, We were also alarmed that the band did not, in fact, come on until... They came on late. They came on Mm. at half nine, and we were like, what? So actually, for me... I mean, they played for a very long time, in fairness. But, um, but yeah, if, uh, no, they come on at five past nine and they left at 11 and they played all the way through. So, so you know, you think, yes, fair enough. But, no, like you, I very much like the idea, particularly as, as just uh, when you talk about sort of the hot dog stand and just the idea, even if much more stuff is now open compared to mm. how it used to be. Do you know, I've spent too much of my life on pig in taxi ranks. I really cannot deal with the idea of trying to get home from somewhere late at night when it's dark and I'm tired. So the idea that, or, or you know, if you're in London, when does the tube stop? Um, if you want, if we want to go to something in town in London from Hastings, we've got to make sure we get the last train back. If I want to go out in Brighton of an evening and go back to Hastings, there is one train an hour after 20 past oh. seven. Oh, and grief. so actually gets to a certain I think the last one you have to leave at 10 to 12 and you still don't get until 20 past one so actually God. that is not a thing that um that appeals to me really um are people still drinking at this so so you know it, it, so it's not like you know doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself in that way if that's what you find interesting and uh, this is, you know, it's happened before. DJ Annie Mac launched a club night, which is called Before Midnight, because it finishes at, yes, you've guessed it, midnight. How do they think of these names? But <laughs> this is even better, isn't it, really? And also, very cleverly, Johnny Owen, the husband of Vicky McClure and, and her, um, decided um, that they would price the tickets cheaply and they said and i think this is so well put and i think they're very decent people they haven't gone into this to make a quick buck they are 15 pounds in london and 10 pounds in other cities wow, they said we know good. it's hard work at the moment it's only a tenner to come here have a dance and have a good time that's really important to us someone says it has a bit of a particularly good wedding with people of different ages where everyone is on top form almost nobody has their phone that people are enjoying the music people that run day fever i am available if you would like a dj at your night because this sounds like the dream gig terence it sounds like so much fun um they they get celebs occasionally they had they had um they had a dj had a dj set they were joined by musician tony mcginnis brother of paddy mcginnis the comedian and presenter um who called him during the event from his daytime bbc radio show i mean it sounds like a lot of fun particularly as they're trying to make it eclectic as well so vicky McClure said one minute it'll be the St- whitney the next it's the stone roses it's suiting everybody and it reignites memories all of a sudden you forget where you are you just embrace it and enjoy it i love this 
They've got people that go for special occasions, the birthdays, and also, I don't know what it is, although they're still drinking at this event, <laughs> I think it's the combination of late night and drink that often makes sort of going out in nightclubs combustible places. I do think mm. even if people have had four pints of beer, I think people are still better tempered at 8, 8, at 8 p.m., particularly in the summer when it's still light, yes. than they yeah. are if it is quarter to one and you were tired on a taxi rank trying to get a taxi home in front of about 200 other people. I think this sounds like a wonderful event. I'm going to try and get to one of these at some point, wherever I can get to, because it just looks like great fun, done in a brilliant spirit. I love the idea that it's done cheaply and that you can go out in the afternoon, you know, we home in time for the match of the day, home in time for gladiators on plus one to Terence by the sound of it. It, it sounds perfect for me. Well, I do hope this becomes a trend for bands as well as clubbing yeah. because, I mean, we're already used to seeing bands in daylight at festivals. Why on earth have we got to get into this lifestyle of bands appearing, as you say, with your stereophonic boys at 9 or 10pm at night? Let's go and see Taylor or Madonna or whoever at three in the afternoon and then we can leave the streets to the ne'er-do-wells and be home in time as you say to order supper with Deliveroo that's the life I can live I can live that life that sounds great doesn't it and and I remember Jamie Lee Curtis went the actress went viral a while ago with a rant about about this exactly sort of thing she was like Coldplay do a matinee I will come if you do a matinee and it turns (laughs) out they did do a matinee and she didn't know so then of course they had to publicly Uh. apologize to Jamie Lee Curtis for not not inviting her to their matinee but yes like you say it's something we can all get behind and actually and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast interestingly um People talk about Generation Y and Z or whatever they're called being very, um, you know, so they're not drinking so much. Actually, I think I wonder if this might be a cultural shift in general. It's pitched in this article about how it's sort of nostalgia and those of us in our 40s and 50s that have got, you know, stressful jobs, but like that music from back in the day. It might also appeal to younger people who are living life in a slightly more abstentious Mm. way. So it might well be that this ends up being something that suits everybody. And I should think the uh, the the boys and girls in blue uh, maintaining life and order on the street would be delighted to oh, find wow. that the streets are empty at uh, eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Absolutely, every... or at least people that are getting home are not having to do it at a time of night when they're wow. very tired yeah. and therefore a bit a bit less reasonable. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. As always, I echo my excellent colleague and friend sentiments. Back to the warring Hartnell brothers to play us out. <laughs> Indeed. Not the sound of people punching each other, sadly. No. But um, I could have picked any number of orbital, <laughs> of orbital numbers because I like them so much. I really like this, though. I thought this was worth picking because I just... I I, I, I sort of got into them during lockdown, really. Um, I seem to very much enjoy kind of repetitive electronic music. And it's, like I said, it stayed with me in my work. Um, and I, again, I could have, you know, I, I, I found it really hard. And I think I've picked them on the podcast previously. Um, but I thought I'd go for this number because um, it just, I, I, I really like the riff in it. And I love the fact that it gets layered. And I just, it's not necessarily a banger in the sense that it's kind of, you know, pushing the ceiling. But I, I think we could call this riff persuasive, 30. So this is a Monday by Orbital.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>